If you're sitting there thinking, man, didn't we read Galatians 6 last week? You're right, we did. This was intentional. We did it two in a row because I'm preaching from that very passage of Scripture. So you can open up your Bible and turn there to Galatians chapter 6. Last week we had the privilege of going through and looking at verses 1 through 2. And we were talking about the idea of bearing burdens. And so I welcome you to join us in on part two of this wonderful passage. And this one's going to come from particularly verses 3 through 10. But in this idea of bearing burdens, we noticed last week there are two different types of burdens. There are burdens that we're called to share. And that's the burdens of others. And I tried to use this picture to remind you of spotting someone when they're lifting weights. So it's you and I coming alongside another believer who's struggling, who's been overtaken in a fault. The one who is spirit-filled according to the fruit being demonstrated by our lives and our responses to the way we think, the way we respond to other people, and just in general, we're the ones able to go and say, let me help you with that. You're overtaken. We spent some time talking about what it looked like to be really overtaken instead of playing games. A lot of times people get really skilled at gamesmanship when it comes to, I'm hurting, I need your help. But the truth is they're still manipulating you. They think they can squeeze a little bit more money out of you or time or attention, and we need to wait until that person is at the very bottom saying, I need help, or as I used a picture last week of being in a cage and no way to get out on their own. So that was our first part that we looked at together, and we see this from this, these first two verses that we just read together. A brother, sister, general Greek word for any of us as believers that Paul uses throughout this book. He says, if you do find someone and it's anybody with any fault, it's not specific faults that specific professionals have to address, but anyone can deal with any problem if indwelled by the Spirit. That's a huge encouragement. And it sets us free to engage in making disciples. It talks about how to do it. You know, we're supposed to do it with this idea of carefulness so that we're being uh, one restoring or mending a broken bone. Um, we're doing it watching our own lives to make sure that we're not falling prey to the same temptation that took our brother or sister down. And we're doing this because we want to do it with the joy of fulfilling the law of Christ. That was last week. I told you you were qualified to help based on all of those things. And I also told you that you're commissioned to help to do it restoration gently and soberly and bearing completely and joyfully. That's our review from last week. You can go back and listen to that sermon if you want to, but I'm encouraged as to what God is doing through our study in Galatians. Now let's give attention to the second one. There are burdens you must bear. And it's interesting that we see this in its breakdown where it talks about in verse 5, for each one will have to bear his own load. So there's the difference between me helping you with something that you can't handle on your own and me being honest about, I need to do what I need to do with, can I put it this way, my own business. Things God's called me to take care of. I don't need to ask you to help lift off of me what I'm supposed to do myself. Now it's not just all about self-effort, and we'll get into that, because it always goes back to the Holy Spirit and his empowering work in and through you. But we'll see this from this text. For if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone. 
kind of a tricky phrase that I want to try to unpack. What does it mean that I boast in myself alone? It seems contrary to thinking too highly of myself. We'll talk about that. And not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. This term for bearing his own load here is interesting because the bearing is in the future tense and the load is referring to this type of a picture, a soldier's backpack, which could be heavy, but each soldier's took is intended to be made for the soldier to wear uh, on his back or her back to bear lots of weight, but made for their back. So it may feel uncomfortable a little bit, but it's designed for you. And, and I'm reminded that whatever I face in life, nothing is bigger than what God gives me the ability to handle in Christ. No temptation has taken me, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful. He's not going to allow you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with each temptation also provide the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So this is the burden I'm talking about with you today, about what is this burden that you're called to bear and the burden I'm called to bear, and how does it relate to each of us individually? I want to start by taking a look at how this works its way out in the text. Notice that the follow-up to bearing burdens is a very familiar set of verses about sowing and reaping. And too many times we'll take these verses and just rip them out of Galatians and just say, see, you're getting what you deserve. You follow what I'm saying? Because we're we're really good at knowing these verses, but we're not so good at knowing the context around these verses. So the, the the context says you have a load that you're supposed to bear, and if you do that, it's going to work out well for you, but if you don't do that, you're going to have a problem on your hand. And so he describes what those things specifically are. It talks about sharing all good things with the one who teaches. Then it goes down and talks about in these next verses, particularly verse 10, after we have this promise of encouragement, we're supposed to do good to everybody as we have opportunity, especially to those in the church. So actually the bearing your own load, to put it in really simple terms, and then I'll try to unpack it a little bit, to put it in really simple terms, if I had your backpack on you, your burden, my burden, is to care for people who are teaching me the word. That's number one. The second burden is to help people in general who's out in the world. And the third burden is especially to care for people who are members of the church, who are following Jesus, but they're really struggling, and they fit into that category of verse Two, overtaken, in need of help. I hope you're following me, because I'm, I'm trying to say pack back on, unzip the backpack, here it goes. This first one about caring for those teaching you the word, are you going to start talking about how we need to care for you, Pastor Jason? Yes, I am. But it's not just about me, it's about the office of the pastor teacher. And I think it does relate to any of us who find blessing in listening to different podcasts and they get to that point in the year when it's like they're raising money do we just like oh this is so let me turn the channel let me fast forward that part actually this passage tells us maybe i should actually take from what i have in order to help that ministry and actually there's an obligation connected to it now i do want to be clear and some of you know exactly what i'm going to say right now i don't think Give your tithe, the 10% of your gross income, I'm making it really simple, to other nonprofit ministries. I think your tithe should come to the local church. 
and that we should give hilariously, which is above and beyond that, and give above and beyond that to other ministries, making the church the priority. And if you miss it, this text, had Paul had no idea that there would be podcasters out there when he wrote this. He's talking about churches here. And he specifies the fact when he says, especially those within the household of faith in verse 10. All right, so let's look at this. If we just take these first three verses from verses three through five, there are burdens that you must bear. This first phrase tells us something about the problem of pride. I want to challenge you to examine your motives. Step back and take an objective look. Notice, for someone or anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. This is something that we all have a problem with. It's called pride. We think too highly of ourselves. This idea of being deceiving, deceiving ourselves, is to lead one's mind astray. It's relating to subjective fantasies that are self-deceptive. So it's you thinking that you are a better athlete than you really are, or once were, for most of us, right? Or it's this concept of thinking, I'm actually good to go. I don't need to hear teaching on that because I've got that covered. I've spent a whole life doing that. I don't need to learn more. I need to learn something new about a genealogy or something like that. Actually, the truth is, we don't need to be so self-deceived. We need to be humble as we're coming to the Word and willing to receive teaching that is presented to us. And it's easy for this to happen. So I want to put you in this idea. We need to step back and take an objective look. Am I self-deceived? Do I have a problem with pride? Okay, so here's, here's one way you can tell. Romans 2, verses 1 and 2, tells us that the very sins that you're able to point out in another person give you an indication of the struggle that may be in your own heart. So if you can sniff out pride a mile away, I got word for you. That's probably what you struggle with. If you can sniff out gossip a mile away, you get the point, you're probably struggling with that. Does it always work that way? Well, Romans 2 tells us it's a condemnation towards the religious leaders, and it's a general one that says you're so quick to point out the faults in others, but those faults are the very faults that you have. So don't overthink it, but I just want you to know, I'm trying to help you identify, do I have a pride problem? If you're quick to say, I think you have a pride problem, then my guess is you do too. Now, do we all struggle with sin? Yes, but from what we learned this morning in Sunday school, we have been set free from the power and the penalty of sin. The presence of sin is with us until we're glorified. But let me illustrate it in this way. Take your Bible, turn back to an Old Testament text, turn back to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings 18. This is just a quick illustration from Scripture about a recognition of a pride problem in a prophet named Elijah. And Elijah is quite the man. He confronted the prophets of Baal. He confronted King Ahab. And he did this in grand style. And we see about him and learn about him in 1 Kings chapter 18. <clears throat> so turn there with me. If you have the Pew Bible in front of you, you can take it and turn there, and you'll find it on page 350. Let me see, 352. 352 in the Pew Bible, okay? 352 in the Pew Bible. It says, After many days the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Three years of a famine, he's empowering this prophet to go tell the king, I'm going to send rain. So this is a big deal. 
So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab called Obadiah. This is, I'm in verse 3 of chapter 18. Verse 3. And Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. How many prophets did Obadiah hide in a cave? A hundred by fifties. You see that? This is quite the guy. This is the guy that Ahab says, go find Elijah and make sure he's still around because I need to talk to him because I'm concerned about the famine thing. So Obadiah goes and meets up with Elijah. And just so that you know, Obadiah and, and, and Elijah actually talk and, and Obadiah tells Elijah what he's doing. Look at verse 7. And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him and Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, it is you, my Lord, Elijah. And he answered and said, it is I. Go tell the Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, how have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill him? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. And when you would say he is, he, he is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will, will carry you, I know not where, and so when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although your servant have, although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Now let me stop, because I'm getting right to the good part. So Obadiah is like, Elijah, I'm not going to just go back and tell Ahab I saw you. Because he's going to say, show me to him, and you're going to disappear. And I'm going to die. I'm not doing that. I'm not playing that game with you. Listen, you need to know something about me. Now look, look down at verse 12, the end of it. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord your God from my youth, it is, it, has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water? Did Elijah hear Obadiah say that? Absolutely. Why am I making such a big deal out of this? Well, Elijah ends up coming to Ahab and telling him, let's have this showdown on Mount Carmel, and he does. Notice what Elijah says when he has the showdown. This is in chapter 18, and look at verse 20. So 1 Kings 18, verse 20. So Ahab sent all the prophets of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel, and Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long Will you go on limping between two different opinions? Good, good little phrase for us to all consider. If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, then follow him. Stop messing around with either or or in between. Pick who you're going to serve. And the people did not answer him the word. Then Elijah said to the people, listen to what Elijah said, I, even I only am left the prophet of the Lord. Hmm. You hear what I just said? Elijah, the man of God, who God says, I'm going to remove this famine, he hears from Obadiah who says, look, bro, don't do this to me. Don't, I don't want to die. You know who I am. I fear God. I've feared him from my youth, and I've actually set aside a hundred prophets in a cave by fifties. Elijah hears this. When he's on the, the scene, he's on a Mount Carmel, he's preaching at the people. He's like, pick which side you're going to be on. By the way, don't you know, I only am alone left of the Lord a prophet. Is that a true statement? He's self-deceived. 
God even uses him in spite of his self-deception. I want you to notice in chapter 19, after he flees from Jezebel, a lot of you know the story of this. It's amazing. God calls fire out from heaven, consumes the altar. Elijah runs like a, a marathon to get to where he needs to go and outruns the, the chariot of Ahab. And this queen says, I'm going to kill you. And he flees from her. And he keeps with the same mantra. He keeps saying the same repeated thing over and over again. Look at chapter 19 and look at verse 9. Then he came to a cave and lodged in it. That's Elijah. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? I love this. God, do you think he needed to ask where Elijah was? What are you doing here? No, he always asks for the benefit of the person hearing, right? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of Israel, the God of hosts. I, he's all puffed up. I have been jealous for you. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenants, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. There's truth. They did seek his life to take it away. But what is he getting wrong here again? I, only I am left. God listens to him. God sends him a great strong wind, an earthquake, a fire, and then a low whisper. And look at verse 13, the end of it. Behold, there came a voice to him, said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Same question he asked him before. Like, dude, whatever your answer was to me didn't cut it. I'm going to ask you again. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah, in his same style, verse 14, says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenants, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And I love what the Lord says to him. He gives him instructions about go, return, and he talks about how he's going to work his will through Elijah. He talks about how he's going to work his will, will through Hazael and Jehu, but notice this statement that God makes. Verse 18. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bound on to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Here's my point. Sometimes we get going in ministry, I mean, we are rolling and we are making a difference. And we start to think, it's all because of me. What are you doing here, Elijah? And you know what happens to us? We get really depressed when someone rejects us. How, how dare you? I, don't you see the good work that I'm doing? And what is God doing? He's drawing us to a place of humility. To say, it has never just been about me. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. There's 7,000 people that have not bowed down to Baal. Look, you're not alone. In fact, I'm going to give you 7,000. There's always a remnant. There's so much theology embedded in this text. And that there's also another whole thing, a whole tangent I could go on, but what do you do when someone is so overwhelmed to the point of wanting to take their own life? 1 Kings 19 helps give us guidance. And it doesn't say give them Bible verses. It starts out with this idea of help them have something to eat, let them get to sleep, and then start to talk to them in a cool, small voice about the truth. So sometimes people can't even think straight because they're mentally so somewhere else or physically somewhere else. And we need to help them get into a safe spot. Now let's talk to you and let's have a conversation. Not an earthquake, not a fire, 
not a whirlwind, like I'm going to straighten you out. It's like, man, listen, let me tell you the truth. So come back to our passage. For if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. And I'm asking you to right now step back and ask yourself a question. Is that me? Have I been self-deceived? Do I think way too highly of myself than I should? If it's you, my encouragement to you is repent of that sin and say, God, please forgive me. Help me to have a good view of who you are. And I know I am not alone. There are others here. Because this is what's going to help you bear your load. Notice this next part. Picture of a wrestling match. Um, I've shown this before because this is an example of me being humbled by my buddy Dwight who was a wrestler, and I'm this big, tall basketball player, and he loved to wrestle, and I thought wrestlers were weird. They wore tights, and, you know, like, come on. And he's like, come on, let's go. Let's, let's go on the mat once. And I was like, okay, whatever, buddy. I'll do it once, and I'll just pin you. It took him maybe 30 seconds to pin me. And he's all five foot six. It, I was, like, humbled quickly. And you need to equally get humbled right now to say, I'm nothing, God is everything, Okay? But let each one test his own work. Now, this word for test is an an important one. It's this idea of actually bring it under the purifying work of fire. It's examine or approve after testing. So here's a picture of a match lit. So if if you're really thinking about it, take your life and put it under the fire. And why would we do that? Well, a lot of times people would do that if they're creating a vase and looking for cracks in the vase. They'd put it underneath the fire. Light can shine through where someone has super glued something, right? But if you just look at it by itself, you can't tell. It's the purifying work. So let's say, Lord, help me test myself. And I think you do that when you're under the word of God, either personally or corporately like this, and you're looking at your work. So what am I doing around this church in this community? Is that work done for your glory or for my glory? Test it and reevaluate the source of your strength. This is when it gets kind of interesting, and so I just got done trying to present to you that it cannot be about you doing it on your own and building yourself up, but what does Paul say? And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone. What? Which, so you're now telling me, Paul, Be careful, you can be self-deceived, but you know what you need to do? Find it in your heart. Follow your heart and you will do it. Nope, that's not what he's saying. He is saying that your reason to boast, to proclaim that this is something that God is doing is not based on people around you, but it's based on God's Spirit within you. You got to go back in context to the fruit of the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God working within you to give you the power to say, God gets the glory. He gets the credit. My reason to boast is in Him. I have in the notes sections of Scripture, in particular 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul makes the statement about the thorn of the flesh that was given to him, and he realized that your grace is sufficient in my weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I boast in my weaknesses that the power of God may rest upon me. So when you feel at your lowest point, like physically, you know, emotionally, you're like, how do I keep going on? I want you to know that God is the one who empowers you to keep going on. Okay, so I'll try to tie it into this way. This is a person boasting. This is not what you should do. Look at me. I am the great prophet of God 
and I only I am left, and I have been dedicated and all this kind of stuff. So we think, okay, what I need to do is I need to get around a bunch of people and praise them. So I'm now we're the person in the middle raising up other people. You know why I am so good? First is a problem. If you start hearing someone, someone gives you a compliment, and you're like, well, that's because I've got a great team. First, you're accepting the compliment. I am actually great. You're right. You noticed it. But the reason why I'm great is because I have chosen to surround myself with great people. And the people standing next to you getting their hands raised like, oh, that's cool, I guess. You're great because of me? Oh, awesome. And everyone's feeling really warm and fuzzy, but that's not what this text is saying. This text is saying that we need to be humbled before the cross, saying, I can only do this because of Christ in me, the hope of glory. Um, I, I, I just felt moved to speak to something real quickly, this concept of codependency. He's like, how does it relate to, first, to, to Galatians 6? Well, I think this idea of boasting in other people or boasting in myself, I think there's a relation, a connection. And here's the connection I want, want to make. There is a problem of codependency, and it's a psychological term. It's like a mental health definition. It's described, a codependent person originally refers to someone who is dependent on someone else who has a dependency on drugs or alcohol. So you want to be around them because they affirm you, and they allow you to feel good about yourself because at least I'm doing what they're doing, they're doing what I'm doing. Another way of saying it is misery loves company. And so we stay stuck in that. And those types of relationships, when all you're doing is around other people in dependency, will actually bring you down really fast. And actually, it is all selfishly motivated. It's all about this other one, about lifting yourself up by holding the arms up of others who are doing sinful things too. And the answer to this is learning to set up boundaries, saying, what has God called me to do And once I know what God's called me to do, that's this picture. God, you've called me to be, in my case, you've called me to be a husband, a father, a pastor. I need to figure out what my lane is and stay in it. Regardless of how Heather, my wife, would treat me or how my kids would treat me or how the church I'm pastoring would treat me. See, if I am always reacting to how everyone else responds to me, I fall apart really quickly. But if before God I'm doing the right thing, then actually I can go back and say, let me help lift you up because my boasting is in Christ alone. I hope that helps. Um, A resource for you that you can look at if you want to dig into this whole thing because there's the difference between codependency and interdependency. Interdependency is a good thing. It's Heather and I working together as a team to raise our kids to glorify God. It's you and I as a church members coming around using our very gifts to glorify God. It's never about any one person. It's about all of it together. Gotquestions.org has a statement on what is codependency. I want to encourage you to look at and consider it. But I think that relates to this text. For each one will have to bear his own load. Notice something about this load, and I have this in the note, live with eternity in mind. So if you're following, what I'm trying to encourage you to do is, number one, step back and take an objective look. Do I have a pride problem? Reevaluate the source of your strength. That source of strength is the Holy Spirit working within you. 
Okay, and the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, if you look back at Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23, it teaches us that there are nine different tastes to the same fruit of the Spirit. First three, love, joy, peace, having to do with how you think. Patience, kindness, and goodness has to do with how you relate to other people. And faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control has to do with how you are in general as someone who is filled with walking in the Spirit. So step back and take an objective look, reevaluate the source of your strength, and live with eternity in mind. This is where you see eternity. For each, that's all of us, will have to bear future tense, his own load, which is a load designed for you to bear. There's coming a day when we will all give an account to our great God. I've shown this before. It is not a picture of a movie theater or a drive-in movie theater where all of your worst things that you've ever thought, said, or done is put on a screen and everyone else is watching and horrified. Actually, it's more probably in reverse. First of all, I want you to know this. The, what would be on the movie is the very best things you've ever thought, said, or done. Whew, good. <laughs> okay, but check this out. It's actually not going to involve an audience outside of God. Romans 14 says it's between you and God. So no cars, no other people, but it will be your, the best things you thought you've ever done, but what ends up happening is that wood, hay, and stubble will be burned away, and what's left would be gold, silver, and precious stones. So here is a picture of the judgment seat of Christ. Let me put it to you in this way. It's individual. It is appointed that will happen to all believers, and it's based on the best things that you've ever done for his glory, boasting in him, not in yourself alone. So even this morning as I'm preaching this text to you, if I'm doing this because of the praise and affirmation you would give to me, if that's my motive, that gets burned up. When I taught this, and I've, I've taught this in different places, but I've taught it at school, the thing about the campus that I taught at for 14 years they love to keep it very perfect, I mean pristine, like every piece of trash picked up. I probably was a demerit if you walked past trash or something, whatever. It was a very, very clean place. But if I would see something on the ground, and if I went to pick it up and throw it away, there are two ways to do it. One, I just pick it up and throw it away. I don't think anything of it. I just want to glorify God. The other one is I look around to see who's watching me, and I pick, do you see what I just did? Or if I do this grandstand and I take out my wallet and I go over to, by the way, we need to give. You guys know that, right? And I start pulling out 20s and I start dropping it in front of you in the offering box. Whose glory is that for? I would think probably for myself. Is it possible for people to collect offerings in a public format and it not be for the glory being directed? Yes, it is possible. It's a heart thing. But I would choose to stay way away from that thus stick with boxes and giving online, okay? But ultimately, the very best things that you thought you've ever done, why'd you do them? You have to bear that load. Okay, so now you're like, man, I could apply it in every work that you do, your gift that you've been given, how are you using that spiritual gift for the glory of God? Um, that's Ephesians 4. The other thing would be this idea of every decision that you make, you have to give an account for it. But Paul makes it really, really concise, and he gives us three categories. He says, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So the first thing you're going to have to give an account to God for, the very first thing, 
is your treatment of your pastors and teachers. How are you doing in that category? You're supposed to share all good things. Maybe that's why there was a day when pastors would get chickens and eggs and bread <laughs> instead of money, right? I think compensation is included in this, but it's so much more than compensation. To share all good things, if you go back and think of texts in Scripture that talk about how to treat your pastor, there's definitely a call that Paul makes, pray for us, showing honor to them, not as if they are different than you. They're still human beings with sin issues, right? But that position is supposed to be held by someone who's walking with God and able to lead. And if it isn't being held by that person, that person needs to step down or be removed. It's just facts. And you can find this in 1 Timothy chapter 5. But how are you doing? I, I spoke a little bit about, I think the place where it comes into a category of application the most would be in context of the churches that I have the privilege of helping coach the missionaries that are trying to start churches. Lots of them are in this situation where they've started a church, they have a membership, they've even picked up missionaries, but you know who they are not supporting? Their pastor. Why? I don't know. He's a missionary. He gets support from someone else. It's a broken system. The scripture says, I would even suggest to you that before you pick up missionaries, you need to make sure you're caring for your shepherd. And then care for your missionaries. Not exclusively never care for missionaries, but think about exalting that office and doing the right thing. Why, Pastor Jason, are you so into that? Well, think about this. Because God is not going to be mocked. Ouch. Okay. It's really not about me and what you're doing for me and for Pastor Dave and for Pastor Lee. That's not what this is about. Alone, exclusively. Okay? Because as a church family in the heart of North Minneapolis, you guys are extremely generous. And I, I'm not just saying that to get you to feel, oh, phew, fine. That's how he feels. I do feel that way. You are extremely generous. Could we do more? Absolutely. Always. Think about double honor. What could we do to show double honor? Like that, that should be our, our modus operandi whenever we're thinking about pastoral ministry and church planting, church restoration. But why do we do this? Don't be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So if you don't, so this way, you're going to reap something. I think primarily the reaping that you'll receive is sermons that are weak and without meat and content. Therefore, your spiritual growth will be stunted a little bit because you're going to get the same sermon preached a hundred times in a little bit of different variety instead of giving a pastor the ability to give focus to the study of the word and the communication of the word so you can grow as a believer, right? And the care of other people in the church is connected to that ability. Notice that if you sow to the flesh, you'll from the flesh reap corruption. This doesn't just apply to the congregation, to the pastor. It applies to the pastor, the congregation. If I'm sowing to the flesh, I'll reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Awesome stuff, okay? First category, treatment of pastors and teachers. And if this isn't motivating enough, Paul throws in this wonderful statement, and let us not grow weary of doing good, because it can feel tiresome sometimes. <laughs> Do you not understand all the needs in the world, and, and you're talking about caring for your pastors and teachers? This is exhausting. Don't grow weary in it. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. And the reaping can come in this life, but it can 
definitely is going to come in the judgment, at the judgment seat. We may never see it here. Um, as it relates to this category of this idea of not growing uh, tired, are you growing weary and well-doing? Like, if I just apply it basically in general terms, I think it's referring to care for pastors and teachers and then two other categories, but the care for pastors and teachers, are you growing weary? Who else knew what it was like to be weary? I think Paul did. He understood ministry hardship. He knew what it was like to be at the point of death and crushed. Paul knew what it was like to experience ministry success, and that can weary you, wear you out as well. And Paul also knew what it's like to embrace ministry preparation. I love that reference. It's in our, we, we've already preached through it, but Galatians 1 and Galatians 2, it, in Galatians 2, 1, it says 14 years later. And I'm not going to develop it right now because of time, but I just want you to know that the Apostle Paul, as soon as he had that Damascus Road experience, he went away for three years into the wilderness and had training with Jesus. That's the end of Galatians 1. And then before he was on the scene, he had his Jerusalem entrance, and that was 14 years later. And if you've ever confused you as to why would Paul have such gumption to go right up to Peter face-to-face, toe-to-toe, and say, what you're doing is not right. You've got to remember, Peter was just someone he knew about he didn't know personally yet. Like, he would know it eventually. But his first introduction, Paul and Peter, was, Peter, you're sinning. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Like, who are you? Oh, yeah, I've heard of you, Paul, yeah. And then you have the Jerusalem Council. So how you date the book impacts some of that. But I just want you to know, Paul, when he says, don't grow weary in well-doing, he knew. And some of you are probably weary. I hope you're not weary of the preaching right now, but maybe. <laughs> you're just weary, you know, just tired or whatever. And I want to encourage you, this verse is a promise to you to claim, don't go weary in well-doing. Make sure what you're doing, what's making you tired is well-doing, not self-promoting, not doing things for your own benefit, but for the glory of God. But one of the ways you do it is caring for your pastors. Another way that you do it is by caring for the community. Fulfill your responsibilities, treatment of community members. So then, he's wrapping it up. As we have opportunity, let's just do good to everyone. Let that just rest on you just for a second. Not about, what about that group of people? We can't. They're parking right outside of our church and they're not moving their vehicle. Not that group. They have pit bulls coming out of their trailer home. We, can't, we don't do good to them, do we? What does that verse say? Everybody. Just like any problem, any person that applies to us, so let's stop creating categories. What about people that make us feel just flat out uncomfortable because of their lifestyle choices? The passage says, do good to all people. We should be known by our love, not by our hate. It doesn't mean we stop teaching and preaching and holding to the truth. It doesn't mean that we take the line and erase it. The line stays there, but our love overflows to everyone. Especially, though, especially to those who are in the household of faith. It's a reference to the church. And so what can happen, I see this happen all the time, particularly in ministries like Family Baptist, we are so inundated, that means overwhelmed with opportunities to do good to everyone, that those within the membership are sitting there going, hey, can you help me? I need food. 
I, I actually need help with my rent. I need help with figuring out how to make this life decision. I'm sorry, I need to go do street ministry right now. Maybe I can talk to you next week. Talk to my secretary and we'll put you on the schedule. You're like, you get a memo. Three weeks later, you can meet with Pastor Jason. Okay. See, I'm, I'm out saving the world, you see. I'm being facetious about that, okay? Sarcastic, okay? I'm saying that what we need to do is when we're, ch- when we're challenged with someone who is not a member who has a need and someone who is a member with a need, we need to focus in the member with the need. Listen, church, I'm not just saying this in general terms. We have those situations happening right now in our membership. Some of you are aware of them. Others of you are like, I don't know. If you don't know, then join me in praying for wisdom. We have a pastors and deacons meeting tomorrow night. We're going to talk about several of those. We need wisdom as to know how to take the limited resources we have to help those starting with our members and then expanding to everyone, all right? So here's my application. Is there a burden you need to bear? Which three groups need more of your attention? Ready? Here they are. Pastors and teachers, church leaders. I'm using church leader as a general statement. If you're like, who are they? Go online on our homepage. I have the prayer list. I have them listed. Okay? And that's expanding it beyond pastors to deacons and also heads of ministry. I have them all listed. So you can pray for us. Church members. How are you doing in that category? Do you even know? When I say we have needs in our church, are you saying, man, I wonder what those are? Or you're sitting there going, no, I think I got an idea. Okay, well, I hope you're in the category, I think I have an idea, and if you don't, then I want to encourage you, spend more time with people in our church and get to know what the needs are all around us, and then the community in general. Could we do more in this area? 100%. We could do more. We're making a focused emphasis on this on Wednesday night with our Wednesday night outreach, where we're bringing kids in, feeding them. We're bringing in a group from Teen Challenge. They're not members of our church, but they are the community in general that we're trying for, and that's just the beginning. There's an international community. Remember when the Moans had such a focus in on that? Who's going to take that mantle and run with it? We, we need someone to do that. How about North High and Henry? How about Edison? How about these schools that are all around us with thousands of kids? Lucy Laney. How about all the, the children all around us? What are we doing? God has strategically placed us here to shine as a light in this community for his glory, but we need to do it the right way because I can tell you this, God's not going to be mocked and you and I will give an answer to him on judgment seat. So what do we need to change? Let's pray together. God, we need your help. These are heavy-hitting topics. Some of us are still thinking through our own propensity to have pride lead our way. Help us to be dependent, Holy Spirit, on your leading and bearing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives with humility, empowered by you. Others are kind of overwhelmed with the thought of what do we need to do to show honor, respect, and care for our church leaders. And others are thinking about helping members. And then there's our community. It's a lot. But you never give us more than we can handle. So we rejoice in this instruction from Galatians 6 and we ask for your grace to help us.